You're going to love this. Just love it. What's not to love? It's the holidays. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove. Out in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI. Out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. And coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and of course, Radio Sputnik five days a week. You can run, but you can't hide. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, and muckraker. And swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another action-packed, thrilling adventure we call The Bradcast. Uh, in, uh, in May of this year, May 2015, Barack Obama was out there stumping in favor of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, trying to get support uh, for this massive trade pack which was negotiated in secret, and it is now complete, and it is awaiting a vote in the U.S. Congress. That'll come at some point next year. We don't yet know when. But uh, critics of this uh, TPP have been saying that uh, the agreement might well undermine American regulations on food safety, on worker safety, even uh, financial regulations. But Barack Obama, when he was out there stumping in favor of the TPP, said those uh, uh, critiques were just not true. He said the critics were, quote, making this stuff up. No trade agreement is going to force us to change our laws. Well, are you sure, Mr. President? Now we have a startling example of a of a different trade agreement, most likely doing exactly that, changing our laws, changing U.S. laws, forcing the U.S. to uh, to change its laws and specifically to change a very popular law concerning food safety and food labeling. So we're going to get into that uh, in a little bit with Lori Wallach of Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. She will be here to explain all of that shortly. Also here shortly and now is Desi Doyen. Hi, Desi. Hello. And uh, our producer and, of course, my co-host on the Green News Report uh, as we cover the, uh, the, the secret weekend debate in New Hampshire, the Democratic debate that uh, apparently the DNC didn't want anybody to know about. Although we managed to track it down anyway. We did. We tracked it down. <laughs> we talked about it on yesterday's program. And one aspect that we didn't talk about was uh, the questions from the ABC News uh, uh, anchors and moderators about global warming. 
and about the uh, recent Paris trade agreement that just completed uh, just, what, about a week and a half ago at this point Yeah, not too long ago. The largest trade agreement, not trade agreement, I'm sorry, the largest climate agreement, actually the largest agreement of any type. Yeah, pretty much the largest uh, international agreement ever made in history, I think. In history, in history. Uh, So we didn't talk about the questions that ABC News asked of the candidates, the Democratic candidates. Why? Because ABC didn't news didn't ask any questions about uh, climate change or uh, or global warming. And or it's only 2016. Yes. Why bother? Why bother asking about that? Uh, so we will talk about that in our upcoming Green News report, along with some very disturbing uh, situations going on right now in Flint, Michigan, with their water in Southern California, near where we are. Uh, concerning a natural gas leak and a big rejection to Donald Trump and his hot air. How's that? How's that for a tease? There you go. Um, And uh, particularly, you know, it was particularly troubling that ABC didn't talk about uh, climate change, global warming, given that we are now in a, a kind of a tropical heat wave over much of the country as we head into Christmas Warm weather around much of the country into the 70s in some places on uh, on Christmas Eve or on the eve of Christmas, however you may prefer to look at it. And uh, but no, you know, doesn't matter. Nothing to worry about. Anyway, we'll get to that ahead. Uh, Speaking of Donald Trump (laughs) and hot air, a Quinnipiac University poll released today shows that Donald Trump is leading his next nearest opponent in the Republican uh, primary, Ted Cruz, now by just four points, 4%, 28 to 24. So uh, Ted Cruz is uh, coming up in the polls. But the Republican presidential frontrunner trails behind both Democratic hopefuls in the general election, says The Hill in their story headlined poll. Trump presidency would embarrass half of Americans. And I think to myself, really? Only half? Uh, Yeah, that's what they say. Half of all polled would be embarrassed to have Donald Trump as president, according to the Quinnipiac University poll. For Republicans, 44% would be proud to have Donald Trump in the White House. That is twice as uh, many GOP voters who would be embarrassed by it. So uh, more more than twice as, as many uh, Republican voters at this point would be proud to have Donald Trump in there than would be embarrassed. So most of those embarrassed people are Democrats. Uh, only 4% of Democrats and 20% of independents would be proud to have Donald Trump as president. I'm kind of surprised that 20% of independents would be proud to have Trump as president, except for the fact that a lot of those people calling themselves independents uh, aren't really independent. They're actually people who are too embarrassed to call themselves Republican after the uh, after the eight years of George W. Bush and everything that's happened since. So they no, I'm an independent. What do you mean? I'm not a Republican, but I'll still vote Republican. Yes, exactly. And they will. Among Republicans, 70 percent think that Donald Trump has a good chance of beating the Democratic nominee. 70 percent of Republicans think he can beat whether it's uh, Donald, uh, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or I suppose Martin O'Malley. Among Democrats, just 14 percent thinks that Donald Trump stands a good chance. 
I think uh, Democrats ought to pay closer attention here. I think they're uh, whistling Dixie in in uh, in some regard here. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about why they might be uh, want to be a bit more careful momentarily. Forty uh, percent of independents think he can beat the Democratic nominee, although I guess that's the so-called independents. Following uh, Trump and Cruz among Republican uh, candidates are now Senator Marco Rubio lagging behind in third place with 12 percent. That's way behind. You got Trump and Cruz at 28 and 24 and then drops off a cliff to Marco Rubio at 12 percent. Ben Carson has 10. Nobody else broke a single. Well, actually, nobody else even broke a 6 percent. But here's a point that I think is uh, even more interesting that the uh, media, while they're covering so much about Donald Trump, uh, they're ignoring the fact that more people support Bernie Sanders in this country, more people support Donald uh, Hillary Clinton in this country. And as a fa- matter of fact, both Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders have a greater likelihood in a hypothetical general election of beating Donald Trump handily. But here's where it gets kind of interesting. Clinton topples Trump 47 to 40 percent in this hypothetical national election uh, uh, matchup, 47 to 40 percent. So if the election were held today, Hillary Clinton would beat and Hillary Clinton was the nominee. She would beat Donald Trump by seven points. She would narrowly beat Marco Rubio by just one point. She would tie. She would tie Ted Cruz. But I think that's because the U.S., uh, by and large, has no idea who Rubio and Cruz are at this point. Get a good look at them once they become the front runner, and that may change. But for now, Hillary over Trump, 47 to 40. That's a seven-point lead. That's huge. That's kind of a landslide in this country. But her rival, Senator Bernie Sanders, also defeats Trump. He defeats Trump 51 to 38. Almost twice as much as Hillary Clinton would beat Donald Trump. So Hillary wins by seven in this matchup against Trump. Bernie Sanders wins by 13, according to this poll. And yet, if you talk to people, if you talk to Democrats, uh, or at least people who are inclined to vote Democratic, and you ask them, well, why? Uh, who, who are you going to vote for? Well, I like Bernie Sanders, but I think I'm going to vote for Hillary. Why are you going to vote for Hillary? Well, because I think she's got a better chance of winning. Well, really? Not according to this, at least, uh, 51 to 38. That's uh, 13 points, Bernie Sanders over Donald Trump. It's kind of huge. It's kind of a blockbuster. And kind the, of uh, huge, I ca- think. You huge, said. that's what I meant, huge. And that refers, by the way, to both Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. They both <laughs> say huge. They're both from Brooklyn. Anyway, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing that people uh, regard Hillary Clinton as more likely to beat Bernie Sanders at least when we look at the actual polls. Uh, this uh, uh, Tim Malloy of uh, uh, the Quinnipiac pollster says, Hillary Clinton tops Trump, Senator Bernie Sanders hammers him, and Senator Ted Cruz is snapping at Donald Trump's heels. Can a candidate that half the American electorate thinks is an embarrassment win in November? Well, of course they can. Of course they can. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the Quinnipiac poll notes that uh, Clinton leads Sanders nationally 61 to 30, handily uh, leading Sanders uh, for the moment nationally. Again, we don't hold national elections, but 
uh, she is uh, beating him in national polls, whereas he is far more competitive and even beating her in a number of polls up in New Hampshire, the first uh, state to vote in, uh, in primaries after the Iowa caucus. Okay. Um, when I talk about the idea that uh, people, Democrats, ought to be careful when they think, oh, yeah, we'd love to see Donald Trump as the nominee. He'd be destroyed by Hillary or by Bernie or whoever. Well, yeah, I guess theoretically, if you ask Americans right now who it is they support. But uh, Donald Trump's a very smart candidate. Talked about it a little bit last week when we were covering the GOP uh, 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 debate. Uh, He's very smart and he will change once and if he gets the nomination, he will change and he will realize that now he's talking to more than just the Republican Party. But uh, more troubling than that is if you know anything about our electoral system, you should be very concerned. You should be very concerned about how easy it is to uh, flip electoral results electoral results in just about any state in the union, because even though many states uh, used uh, touchscreen voting systems, way more use optical scan systems at this point. Those are paper ballots that are usually handmarked. And a lot of people look at that and they say, well, that's a great thing. We got handmarked paper ballots. We don't need to worry. Well, you do need to worry. And we've got another example As to why you need to worry. Earlier this summer, we talked about this story, and now this story is expanding. Uh, We talked about the the, the lottery up in Iowa. Speaking of Iowa, the Multi-State Lottery Association up in Iowa uh, where they have this, you know, the central computer that is supposedly supposed to pick the random numbers that are generated for the lottery. And this computer is kept in a very high, very high security, 24 hours a day camera. It's in the, it's in this glass room that's in the middle of another room, so nobody can go into this room without getting caught, in theory. Well, you won't get caught, I guess, unless you happen to be the guy who actually runs that computer in that big glass room with the camera 24-7. Because the guy who ran that computer for the Multi-State Lottery Association was apparently, we thought it was only uh, one uh, lottery that he won, one jackpot that he won for himself. But no, now it turns out uh, he and a whole bunch of his friends were winning because he, as an insider, had access to the system and was able to uh, insert, uh, install some software onto that computer that made it possible for him to predict what numbers would be put out by the uh, by the computer. Well, it wasn't quite as uh, randomly generated as we thought. Because he had access to the system, he installed what is called a root kit, according to prosecutors, that enabled him to manipulate numbers without a trace. And this has always been the warning. This has always been my warning about uh, electronic voting systems. Insiders can do anything they want with those results. And I know you think, oh, they would never do, who would ever do that? Well, you got billions of dollars writing on elections. You only got millions of dollars writing on these, uh, uh, these lottery jackpots. And these people were willing, insiders who had access to the system were willing to go in and uh, and mess with the computers to change the results. 
And that is true on voting systems, even when they are hand-marked paper ballot systems, because those paper ballots are still tabulated by computers. Computers that often simply just get it wrong because they're misprogrammed and they're crap, frankly. But also, you have uh, election insiders who have access to these uh, results, these tabulators, who can do anything they want to them in seconds' time with very little possibility of anybody ever discovering them. So this uh, jackpot story up in uh, the jackpot fixing story up in uh, Des Moines has now spread. As AP uh, describes it, the allegations read like a movie plot. A lottery insider installs an undetectable software program in the computers that pick that pick winning numbers so he can know them in advance. He then enlists accomplices to play those numbers and collect the jackpots, and they enrich themselves for years until a misstep unravels their high-tech scheme. That is what happened, according to prosecutors. Eddie Tipton, a former, the former security director for the Multi-State Lottery Association, has now been accused of tampering with drawings in four states over a six-year period. When last we covered this story, we thought it was only him in one lottery. He made out, uh, won a big uh, jackpot, waited until the very last day, like a year later, to claim the jackpot. Well, now he's been working with accomplices uh, in four and at least four different states over six years. Six years this went on, according to investigators. They are now expanding the inquiry nationwide to determine if the number could be even larger than that. State lotteries in Colorado, Wisconsin, and Oklahoma have confirmed they paid jackpots worth $8 million to associates of Tipton, including his old college roommate. Investigators looking at payouts in the other 37 states and U.S. territories that use random number generators from the Iowa-based association, which administers games and distributes prizes for the lottery consortium. So they all work with this one central computing system to generate these random numbers just the way when you go to vote next year in the primary or uh, in November in the general election your ballots will all be uh, sent you you know can vote all over the all over the county but those ballots are all sent uh, to a central tabulator where you don't have to go through and change each and every machine you don't have to game each and every machine you don't have to stand in line for hours to vote twice or to vote under someone else's name as republicans claim is going on though there is no evidence for that no if you want to flip the results of the election you do it with a couple of keystrokes as an insider whether you're a vendor Working on the uh, the computers, uh, these, these voting systems, which are uh, run by private companies, or if you're an insider who actually runs the uh, election uh, tabulators for the county. Anyway, the jackpot fixing investigation is sending a chill through state governments, says AP. State governments that receive $20 billion annually in lottery revenue, and that depends on public confidence in those contests. It would be pretty naive to believe that they are only that uh, those states are the only four jackpots involved, says a now retired Iowa deputy attorney general who oversaw this investigation for two and a half years. They've been looking at this. 
Eddie Tipton was convicted in July of fraud in the attempt to claim a 16.5 million jackpot in Iowa. He was sentenced to 10 years, but he's uh, free pending uh, the appeal. Tommy Tipton, Eddie's brother, bought a winning Colorado lottery ticket in 2005. He resigned his position last month as a justice of the peace in Flatonia, Texas. 100 miles west of Houston, uh, he has yet to be charged. Colorado authorities are investigating how this, uh, the brother of the guy who runs the uh, lottery computer generating system happened to have won, bought a winning lotto ticket back in 2005. Uh, and of course, he was a public official. And he's a justice of the peace. And that's the other thing that drives me nuts about elections is, you know, when we talk about, the, you know, the concern about insiders county clerks, county registrars, people who work in those offices. Well, they would never do that. Those are uh, high-ranking officials. They would never mess with the voting system. Well, really? You got a justice of the peace from Texas who very well may have worked with his brother to win the lottery. We've talked for years about the case, uh, the convictions in 2010 of uh, eight top election officials in Clay County, Kentucky, including the district court judge there, including the uh, superintendent, the, the, the school superintendent, including the county clerk, all of whom were found guilty of having gamed elections for years, including manipulate, manipulating voting systems. Back to the jackpot fixing. The scheme allegedly continued for years. Prosecutors say Eddie Tipton installed this root kit that enabled him to manipulate numbers at will without a trace. The Oklahoma lottery director uh, said this is kind of an eye opener. It reaffirms the fact that we've got to be constantly vigilant against people trying to defraud the system. Oh, do you think? But let, let, let's let them vote on uh, systems that are counted by computers, not by human, uh, human beings. Eddie Tipton had worked at the uh, lottery, Multi-State Lottery Association up in Des Moines, Iowa, since 2003. After a career in information technology, including at a, uh, a, a, a firm in Houston called Systems Evolution, and then he was promoted to lottery security director in 2013. Well, here's the good news. The lottery actually has a security director. Voting systems um, run by your county clerk? No, not so much. Uh, they don't even have security directors. So uh, good luck with that. And by the way, good luck to you Democrats who are delighted, who are thrilled, who can't wait for Donald Trump to win the nomination. What could possibly go wrong? Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. 
You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Yes, I see what you did there, Desi Doyen. Smartly what? played. Smartly played. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Cool jerk. May make sense in a moment. Uh, between uh, the, the breaking news items uh, over the past several weeks leading into the holidays and the presidential debates and the other related madness, uh, we've been trying, we've been talking, we haven't been trying, we've been succeeding in talking about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, every now and again. That is the huge new trade agreement between the U.S., Canada, Mexico, and a bunch of Pacific Rim nations that was negotiated in secret by hundreds of corporate lobbyists working with the U.S. trade representatives, uh, while the public and even Congress, which is uh, now expected to either approve or reject the 5,000-page trade pact, while the, even they were kept out in the, uh, in the dark. Now, critics of this agreement on all political sides have, have cited, among other things, the so-called investor-state dispute settlement system. That's ISDS system built into the agreement. This is akin to a similar one built into NAFTA and, and other such agreements. As financial journalist David Dayen on this program uh, recently explained just a few weeks ago, the ISDS is a system by which corporations can get rulings on violations of free trade agreements. They can appeal not to that country's judicial system, but to a separate process, an extrajudicial tribunal composed of corporate lawyers who can act who can act on behalf of the corporation in one case and then sit on a panel judging the corporation on another case, says David Dayan. And these panels can deliver compensatory damages to a corporation for suing essentially a national government over laws it has made, which they deem to be in violation of the agreement. So in other words, they don't go to U.S. courts. They go to this special court if there is any uh, any problem with anything in the trade agreement, anything in the TPP. Now, supporters of the TPP, such as President Obama, say there's, there's nothing to worry about at all. The TPP can't actually affect American laws or force the U.S. to actually change its laws to meet the requirements of the TPP and the interests of foreign countries and foreign corporations. But a new case regarding a previous trade agreement now, long before TPP, uh, now suggests otherwise, at least according to the story spelled out recently at the Huffington Post by Lori Wallach of Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. Her article, headlined WTO Orders Sanctions Unless U.S. Cuts Consumer Labels, disproving Obama TPP claims, begins thusly. Uh, she writes, The World Trade Organization's recent ruling against the country of origin meat labels 
or COOL, C-O-O-L, that Americans rely on to make informed choices about their food provides a glaring example of how trade agreements can undermine U.S. public interest policies. The WTO authorized over $1 billion annually in trade sanctions against the United States unless and until the popular consumer policy is weakened or eliminated entirely. The ruling is a nightmare for the Obama administration's uphill battle to, to build support for the controversial Trans-Pacific Partnership, writes Lori Wallach. It makes clear that trade agreements can and do threaten even the most favored U.S. public interest safeguards. Uh, here to talk about this and this uh, remarkable ruling by uh, a world court uh, that is not the U.S. that will likely change U.S. law is Lori Wallach. She's the director and founder of Global Trade Watch, a division of the nonpartisan good government transparency and oversight organization Public Citizen. She's an expert on the operations and outcomes of trade policies such as NAFTA, WTO, Fast Track Pre uh, Trade Promotion Authority, and she's author of numerous articles and books, most recently The Rise and Fall of Fast Track Trade Authority. She recently wrote a disturbing piece at Huffington Post, as I said, headline WTO orders sanctions unless U.S. cuts consumer labels disproving Obama TPP claims. Lori Wallach, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. All right. Uh, so w what is this uh, this ruling by the WTO? I guess we need we need before we explain the ruling, I guess we have to explain exactly what country of origin meat labels or cool is. Well, everyone who goes to a grocery store and you pick up a package of ground beef or mm -hmm. pork ribs or chicken and it has on it that label that says where the livestock was born, mm -hmm. raised and slaughtered. And it is required by federal law to be on all meat. It has been required. And it's a law that was finally passed in 2008 after literally decades of the consumer movement trying to get mandatory labeling, mm -hmm. which is important. So when you're shopping, you know if you want to buy local, you can buy U.S. If you want to make sure you've heard about an outbreak of food poisoning in a certain place, mm -hmm. don't get the ground beef that's from there. And also it helps track back where the stuff is from. And it basically means that for complying with the law, if you have a package of hamburger, unless you want to label it as mystery meat from 50 countries, you basically make sure the meat that goes into a particular set of ground beef mm -hmm. is from a country or one or two countries they can label it. So all around good policy, and it was challenged by the meatpacking industry, and our court said, Fine policy, good good consumer information. So, it was, so let me just clarify. So this policy, which you say you you know in your article, it's wildly popular, bipartisan support uh, of the American people, ninety percent of the American, yeah. Uh, it was challenged by the industry here in U.S. courts, and U.S. courts said no, the policy is fine, leave it as is, go to hell, uh, U.S. meat industry. This is the federal law now. Exactly. Okay. So. The industry interests, the agribusiness guys, the packers, the grocery stores, they basically did what increasingly the Trans-Pacific Partnership would let interests do even directly, and that is they thought, okay, we can't do this in the normal procedures in Congress or in the U.S. courts. Let's go for deregulation via trade agreement attack. And the, the, you know, the, typically the industry recruits a country. 
in the WTO, corporations can't privately enforce the rules like they can in TPP. We mm-hmm. need to talk about that because in TPP, they've actually privatized the enforcement. So individual mm-hmm. investors, foreign investors, are raised to the same level as a whole sovereign nation that signed the treaty. But for the WTO, governments only can enforce. So they mm-hmm. go recruited. They, they basically you have to recruit a country. So Mexico and Canada is the government sued the United States as a government at the World Trade Organization, and three trade attorneys since 2011 have been churning out rulings basically saying that this domestic law that applies to meat, whether it's from here or from abroad, everyone has to do the same paperwork. We're not discriminating against the the foreign goods. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to track their stuff and label it that our U.S. courts have said is fine, these WTO tribunals keep saying, nope, can't do it, violate your trade obligations. And the big development was last week, Monday, the final WTO ruling came out, and it said not only are you not allowed to do this, and we've been telling you that since 2011, if you guys don't get rid of that law, you're going to have over a billion dollars of trade sanctions slapped on you every year until you do. Now that's and the... within one week, yeah. Congress was gearing up to get rid of it. And that's so the WTO actually has the authority to essentially charge the U.S. a billion dollars a year until we change whatever particular law they've decided is is not in the interest of the WTO. They can authorize the country who's brought the case on behalf of an industry Mm -hmm. to hit us with trade sanctions. So that means Mexico and Canada could nail us for a billion dollars in trade sanctions each. And that and that's after, as I understand it, uh, the, the cool law was already modified, at least the, uh, the regulations, if not the law itself, but the way that it was carried out. Uh, it was already modified, right, by the Obama administration, uh, but those modifications were not enough? Do I understand that correctly? Yes. Now, speaking as a omnivore who loves a steak as compared to a recovering trade attorney, and I am both, (laughs) what they did technically is they went in and they fixed the specific provisions of the specific WTO agreement that the WTO tribunal said the U.S. policy violated. When you have these rulings, there are hundreds of pages, and they say, "You, you have a problem with article blah, blah, because of blah, blah. So they went in and Mexico and Canada and the industry were trying to get rid of country mandatory country of origin labeling. Instead, the U.S. government was very clever, and they said, okay, you're saying there's this problem, there's that problem. We can address each of those by strengthening the policy. We'll give consumers more information. Well, this made Mexico and Canada apoplectic because it was the opposite result that they were seeking. So they went back and attacked the new law. I think the original law... If, if the original law violated the WTO, that's a problem with the WTO, not the original law. Our courts already checked to see if it was discriminatory, etc. But the new law clearly met even the picky WTO rules, right. and still we lost. And, and I want to get to how this relates uh, specifically to the concerns about TPP, uh, which some say is even worse. But it, it, is there any appeal for the U.S. at this point, or does the U.S. simply have to, in regard to the uh, uh, meat labeling uh, sanctions or threat of sanctions, is there any appeal at this point to that, or does the U.S. simply have to keep uh, essentially uh, paying a billion dollars in sanctions each year, uh, as you suggest? Well, there is no outside appeal, which is pretty darn outrageous. But more outrageous is, actually, the U.S. could pay 
And when a WTO tribunal ordered the European Union to start accepting meat produced with artificial growth hormones, which they ban, the European Union basically said, forget about it. And for literally 15 years, they paid hundreds of millions of dollars in sanctions every year wow. to keep their policy. That is not what the U.S. is doing. It is no joke that within a week of the sanctions being authorized, Congress slipped into that huge omnibus bill, right. the revocation of the country of origin meat labels we've all been used to seeing for the last decade for beef and pork, including ground beef, which is particularly horrifying. So the WTO will have gotten rid of one of our most popular consumer wow. labeling policy. Wow. Now, uh, and and many critics, of course, of the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement say that that is even worse. Now, Barack Obama says that it's the uh, most progressive trade policy ever. But we've got uh, both Democrats and Republicans, at least some from each party, one of them being Senator Elizabeth Warren, another uh, Congressman Alan Grayson, who's been on this show decrying the TPP. They oppose uh, this thing. Uh, is What the WTO is doing, is that similar to what we will now see from the Investor State Dispute Settlement System, ISDS, uh, in, in the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership? It's basically, the TPP is considerably worse. So if under the WTO we're already facing these threats, and just by the way, two weeks before this mystery meat ruling, yeah. the WTO ordered us to get rid of the dolphin safe labels that we have on tuna fish, saying that violated the rules too. They haven't imposed the sanctions yet, <sighs> so Congress hasn't gone out and gutted those, but that's coming next. Oh, so man. how the TPP is even worse is two ways. One, with respect to the limits on domestic food safety policy that are permitted, the TPP rules go much further than the WTO rules. So, for instance, WTO rules obviously are problematic, but the TPP rules additionally do things like provide for a separate challenge for border inspection measures, not just for the safety standard or the label itself, but for the border inspection procedures. And what that is aimed at doing is making sure, from the industry perspective, that if some shipment of food is suspect and it's been held for, like, for instance, testing in a lab for mm -hmm. a sample to be tested, that it's not allowed to be held for a certain period of time, that it has to be allowed to come into the market and maybe can be pulled back later if you can find it, if there's a problem. The sampling, so, you know, normally when you do border testing, you, you, take, you focus on the stuff in the past bit of problems, stuff from a country that's had a problem, mm -hmm. like shrimp from our TPP partners, Vietnam and Malaysia, right. very problematic, yeah. or from a company that's been a problem, but the TPP basically lists that as illegal discrimination. Well, you only want to test, you know, they test a small percentage. You want to test the stuff that you know could be a problem, not the stuff that is not going to be a problem. Right. So that is a worse and more dangerous standard. Plus, there are new limits in TPP for the first time with respect to GMO food policies. Then, the second thing is, unlike Lim the WTO, limits, the TPP uh, is privately enforceable. Is you, when you say limits to a GMO food policies, limits on labeling and disclosure, right? Limits that uh, make it easier to sell GMO foods uh, Exactly, and GMO seeds, and there's a whole special provision. It's actually not in the food chapter. It's in Chapter 2. Folks can go on our website, tradewatch.org, and there's an analysis that goes through all of this with, with citations back to the text 
which finally, after seven years of secret negotiations, you can actually see online. Mm-hmm. And you can read this stuff. So there's a provision in Chapter 2 that basically talks about market access for biotechnological products. And it, it sets up basically a right of access. But the second thing that's even worse is it's privately enforceable. So the WTO, you have to recruit a country to attack another country in one of these tribunals. And at least some countries step back and they think, huh, do I really want to throw that brick at that glass house, given I live there too? I have a similar policy. At least there's some, you know, we call it diplomatic screening, where they're thinking about how an attack and some policy the other country might actually have could boomerang back on their domestic policies. But the TPP is privately enforceable by individual foreign companies and investors through the very controversial investor-to-state dispute settlement system. And that lets any individual company drag a sovereign nation that signed that agreement away from its own courts, outside of its own laws, in front of a foreign tribunal of three private sector lawyers who the TPP would empower to order the signatory government to pay unlimited sums of taxpayer money for any policy, government action, or inaction that the investor believes violated its new privileges as a foreign investor and would undermine its expected future profits. Wow. Lori Wallach, I know your, your time is short. I need to let you go here, but uh, is there anything since the full text of the TPP, which is, as you know, thousands of pages, I think it's 5,000 pages or something, since that has finally been released, have you seen anything in it that makes you feel any better about it or is it all just even worse than you uh, had uh, worried about in the first place well as a as a comprehensive agreement it's significantly worse than we we expected i mean just for instance the environment chapter rolls back the standards for environmental protection that even george w bush had enforced oh, to include in his past agreements he required all countries adopt and implement the standards of seven multilateral environmental agreements and their domestic laws. The TPP rolls it back to one. On access to affordable medicines, the TPP basically undoes some big reforms. They weren't perfect, but they were a step in the right direction that the Democrats in Congress forced on Bush. This basically would give the big pharmaceutical companies back their monopolies that were taken away, plus worse, and jack up everyone's medicine prices. The one thing that's in there that was interesting and good is there is an exception for tobacco regulations from these corporate attacks in the investor state tribunals. The problem is when you actually look at that and you go, wow, that's real. They actually have protected a bunch of those policies from being savaged and smacked down through these (laughs) trade agreements. Then you look at everything else that has no protections, (laughs) which would be all of our food safety, environmental, human rights, labor rights laws, and you realize, geez, it's a good thing for tobacco, but what about everything else? Wow. Uh, When does this come up for a vote at this point uh, in Congress, Lori Wallach? And is there any chance uh, that you see that it will be rejected? Because I see a lot of Democrats getting in line behind their president. Uh, and, of course, we know that Republicans have for a long time supported these, you know, cor- these, these PACs that uh, support corporations. So is there any chance, as you see it, that it will be rejected? And if so, uh, any word on when, when a vote comes up on, on the uh, TPP? 
So the president's very keen to try and get this voted on as soon as possible. They can sign it as soon as February 4th under various procedural rules, and I think the president hopes that sometime after Super Tuesday on March 1st, but before Memorial Day, they can ram it through Congress. However, it is is definitely not a done deal, and here's the reason why. Actually, very few Democrats in the House of Representatives support it, but the vast majority are out against it. There's literally a list of maybe 40, 45 Democrats, maybe 50, who are not publicly out against TPP already. And there's a big block of Republicans who are against it because, you know, they don't like foreign tribunals. They see it as a threat to sovereignty. They don't like the ban on Buy America policy, which is in there. We even offshore our tax dollars. They're very worried about the way the national security exception was rolled back. There's plenty that Republicans also don't like. So and, and, they, and they don't like any and they don't like anything that was done by that's, Barack that's Obama. Right. So. And then there's that. Yeah. Um, so I would say if people want to make sure that they don't have a TPP disastrous future, the thing to do now when all your members of Congress are home for an extended period over the holidays, and then in January, but for a couple of days around the State of the Union, they're home for weeks on end, is to go find those office hours, to go find that ribbon cutting, to go find that Martin Luther King Day event, or find that Christmas lighting tree, right. tree lighting event. Go and introduce yourself to your House member. It's the House members that are going to decide this, actually. It's where it's most contested. Shake their hand and don't let go. Eyeball them <laughs> until they tell you they will vote against the TPP. It sounds scary, but actually... It's what their job is. You just shake their hand, say your constituent, say your name, and say, will you please commit to me to oppose the TPP and pick your flavor of why. More American job offshoring, lower wages, floods of unsafe imported food, bad for the environment. If you go to tradewatch.org, there are fact sheets on basically almost every one of the issues that I've discussed and some more based on analysis of the final text, and just don't let go of the hand of that member until they tell you they will commit. And if they won't, then follow up, obviously, with a letter. But there is work being done nationwide to build a majority in the House of Representatives against, and that is our way to basically make sure we save ourselves from this threat. Lori Wallach, director and founder of Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. Get more information on Lori at Trade... on Not, not on Lori, but on Lori and her work at TradeWatch.org. Check out her uh, Huffington Post article with, with details on this uh, meat labeling uh, business. Not because of the concern about the meat labeling, but just what it tells us about how these trade agreements work. That's over at Huffington Post. WTO orders sanctions unless U.S. cuts consumer labels disproving Obama TPP claims. Lori Wallach, uh, great speaking with you. Hope you'll uh, join us again soon on the broadcast. Uh, Very, very helpful and informative. Really appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. You bet. Have a wonderful holiday. Uh, there's one point that she notes in uh, in her article at Huffington Post that I, I didn't get to. Uh, President Barack Obama has launched unprecedented attacks on the very notion that the pact could undermine public interest policies. For instance, in a high-profile 2015 speech at Nike headquarters, Obama said that critics warning that the TPP could, quote, undermine American regulation, food safety, worker safety, even financial regulations, was, quote, just not true. He said, quote, they're making this stuff up. No trade agreement is going to force us to change our laws. Really? Really, Mr. President?
Apparently not. Uh, All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. We're having a heat wave, a tropical heat wave. The temperature's rising, it isn't surprising. She certainly can, can, can. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. A heat wave indeed, even as we speed towards Christmas in much of the country. Although out in the Southwest, where we are, it's cold, <laughs> but uh, we may have a white Christmas, I don't know, out in uh, California. Uh, but the rest of the country, a lot of the country is rather warm. Well, we'll talk to we'll talk about that, of course, in our latest Green News Report. We need to address the planetary crisis of climate change. ABC News hosts a presidential debate, but climate change and energy aren't invited. They know this is coming. President Obama warns Republicans the world is moving forward on climate. Some homes, when you poured it in the tap, it came out rusty colored or it came out looking like maybe it was a light beer. Officials knew Flint, Michigan's water contaminated with lead. Plus, I can't imagine the leaders of Scotland could be so stupid as to allow this to be built. British court rejects Donald Trump's wind farm objection. All of that hot air and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Keep in mind that right now, the American Republican Party is the only major party in the advanced world that effectively denies climate change. Yes, very effectively, Mr. President. We call it American exceptionalism. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I got a note from our station manager at our Lancaster, Pennsylvania affiliate partner, WLRI, saying that our forecast is for 75 degrees on Christmas Eve in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He said the record is 59, set in the 1940s, but, well, we've got really warm weather across much of the country this year. Last year, when it was really cold, Republicans used it to deny climate change. Will they use the warmth this year to underscore how much we're in trouble? Oh, probably they'll find some way to deny. What warmth? Indeed. So what do you have for us today as we head smack dab into the holidays? Well, at the third Democratic primary presidential debate in New Hampshire, hidden away on a Saturday night before Christmas, ABC News debate moderators had time for fluff questions about presidential spouses, but asked zero questions about climate change, energy, or the historic International Paris Climate Agreement. Just remarkable. I've come to expect that at a Republican debate, but at a Democratic debate, not a single question about climate change? That's right. However, the candidates did bring it up themselves. Here's Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. We need to address the planetary crisis of climate change and take on the fossil fuel industry and transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy. And here's former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley. The other big challenge we have is climate change. 
the greatest business opportunity to come to the United States of America in 100 years. We need to embrace this. I have put forward a plan that does this, that moves us to 100% clean electric grid by 2050. That was likely the first and probably last time voters heard anything about O'Malley's ambitious clean energy proposal. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton didn't bring up climate or energy at all. The next president will carry out the International Climate Agreement, so it is pretty appalling that the corporate media, like ABC, deems it unworthy of presidential debate time. Meanwhile, the only Republican candidate who was not a full climate science denier, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, has dropped out of the Republican race. President Obama, in his final White House press conference of the year, predicted that Republicans and their presidential candidates will fail in attempts to block the landmark Paris Agreement because the world is moving on. Countries are saying, this is where we're going. We're going to be chasing after this clean energy future. This is how we're going to meet our goals. That combination of market signals means that the private sector is going to start investing much more heavily. They know this is coming. In Flint, Michigan, newly uncovered internal documents support allegations that officials were warned that Flint's drinking water was contaminated with unsafe levels of lead, but instead the city's emergency manager, appointed by Republican Governor Rick Snyder, and the state told residents for months that the water was safe to drink. Here's Brad Werfel of Michigan's Department of Environmental Quality on Michigan Public Radio a few months ago. Anyone who is concerned about lead in the drinking water in Flint can can relax. Unfortunately, that was not true. The county has now declared a public health emergency and told residents don't drink the water. In Los Angeles, the city has filed suit against the natural gas company responsible for a massive gas leak at a storage facility since October that has forced over 2,000 people to seek temporary shelter to escape the sickening fumes. Southern California Gas Company says stopping the leak will take another four months. Wow. Just driving past it on the highway not long ago. We could smell this horrible stench coming from Porter Ranch, California. Amazing. And it is said to be leaking the equivalent of 25% of California's greenhouse gas emissions all out of this one place. Just extraordinary. Finally, billionaire Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump's attempts to block the construction of an offshore wind farm near his luxury golf resort in Scotland has now been rejected by Britain's highest court. A Trump representative said, quote, history will judge those involved unfavorably. For much more on our stories today and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. From Desi and me to you and yours, here's to a safe, and peaceful holiday. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Red nose on the reindeer, tinsel on the tree, but it's a green Christmas for me. Well, Merry Green Christmas, Desi Doyen. <laughs> and to you, too. Now, I know there was a, a number of stories. There's a couple of stories you wanted to get in because we're going to be, uh, well, we're going to be off for Christmas which would uh, we usually do a green news report later this week, so you won't get to do that. And then next week, we've got our green news report year in review. So there was a couple of stories I know you wanted to get in uh, about Oklahoma and Arca- uh, Alaska. Alaska. Yeah. yeah, basically uh, Oklahoma, Alaska are both facing huge budget deficits because they rely on oil revenue for the majority of their state budgets. And, of course, with oil prices having slumped to, I think it's an 11-year low mm-hmm. now, that uh, that they're having some, some major problems funding. And so Alaska 
is considering instituting a state income tax. What? Yes, to fill that budget hole. Because they make a lot of money from oil revenue. They used to make a lot of money for oil. It was 90% of the state's budget, uh, and and now it's only about 75%. And of course, as we switch to transition to uh, clean energy in the next several decades, they're going to completely lose out. So this shows the, the folly of trying to rely on one single commodity, fossil fuels, for your budget revenue. Revenue. Diversification. And that's going to, that price, in theory, in theory, again, unless we, you know, go to war, which we do all the time. Well, yeah. Um, but uh, in theory, that price is going to continue to come down as uh, renewables spread, solar and wind well, that, and so that forth. Is the oil the price is going to come down. That's the expectation. Yeah. You know, there are some uh, analysts who say, no, it's going to it's going to fluctuate quite a bit. You know, it's a glut right now, but it's really hard to predict global oil prices. Nobody predicted this slump, even with the glut of production in the United States. So we'll see what happens. Oh, we, and there was one more good news. Yeah, okay, uh, this go is, ahead. Uh, Volkswagen, remember, <laughs> oh, they yeah. they were smashed in the face for yeah. uh, trying to lie on U.S. emissions regulations, and they were caught red-handed. Which, by the way, let me just to remind, just to close the circle uh, of this program, because we talked about uh, people gaming the lottery computers at the beginning of the yep. show and why uh, you need to worry about electronic voting for that very reason, because of insiders gaming the systems. In the Volkswagen scandal... You had uh, the insiders change the software so that it showed one thing when they were testing the software and another thing completely when the computers in these cars were actually out uh, on the road on, on the road in use. And that is exactly one of the many other things I've warned about with these electronic uh, tabulation systems, they can say anything when you're testing them when it's not election day and then on election day, they can do whatever they want. But yeah. that wasn't the VW story you had. No, actually. So we talked about the VW scandal and about yeah. how they could redeem themselves. Well, it looks like they are trying to redeem themselves. They're going to bring back a version of the VW hippie bus. The hippie van? The hippie van. And cool. it's uh, supposed to be long range electric. Really? Yeah. All, all electric? All electric. Not, not, none of that hybrid sissy Prius stuff. But right. All electric hippie van. That's what they say. Count me in. I could use one. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, to Lori Wallach of Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. Check out their work at globaltradewatch.org. And, of course, to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is all greatly appreciated, as is uh, those who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us keep doing what we're doing uh, without having to rely on the uh, corporations or the oil industry or anybody else. Uh, all right, we'll be back with you. Same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, if you missed any portion of our program, download it at bradblog.com or at iTunes. You can send me email anytime. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. All right, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Mm-hmm.